0: This is the Homestead Journey Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the pursuit of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. This is episode number 68 of the Homestead Journey Podcast. Welcome. I am so glad that you have found us. If you are a new listener, uh, welcome to the show, and if you are a longtime listener, Welcome back, and thank you so much for your support. My name is Brian Wells. I am coming to you from 3B Farm and Homestead here in beautiful but frigid upstate New York. I think it was minus six this morning, and it it was just cold. You can tell how cold it is by the crunch of the snow under your feet and by how quickly the nose hairs freeze to the inside of your nose. Now, I'm at that age where a nose hair is is a thing. Uh, maybe you're younger than me, and it's not quite crept up on you. But uh, yeah, it was cold this morning. It was cold. But uh, everybody seemed to have handled it well. I counted the pigs this morning. They were all there and out for breakfast. They were out for supper, and it did warm up throughout the day. I think this afternoon as I was driving back from the ski area after teaching lessons, it was a balmy 19 degrees. In fact, uh, I got home and fed the pigs and it was almost t-shirt weather. I shouldn't say t-shirt weather, but I was out there in just my uh, thermal top, had my coat off. And uh, so anyhow, it, it's just funny how different 19 feels in January after a minus six versus how 45 or maybe even 30 degrees feels in October. (laughs) Your body gets used to it, although I don't know if you ever get used to minus six. I don't know. That's cold. Thankfully, though, uh, it's uh, only supposed to be like that today and tomorrow, and then we're supposed to get back up into the 20s and 30s next week. Hopefully, maybe some more snow coming in, and uh, I'll enjoy that as a snowboarder. And, of course, great time, great chance to get out on the tractor and throw snow. And, you know, uh, I guess we'll call it ROI, return on investment. Helps me um, not feel quite as bad about buying the tractor. Anyhow, that's uh, enough about that. Let's jump on over to this week's Homestead Happenings, and I will bring you up to speed with what we've been doing here on 3B Farm and Homestead. The first part of this week, I actually did something that I have been putting off for a very, very long time. And trust me, folks, it was not any more fun uh, (laughs) because I had procrastinated. And that is that I took all of my receipts from last year. I should say all of my receipts. I think I had I had done pretty good about putting them into my spreadsheet for January and most of February. But when March came around and the whole pandemic hit. I kind of, I'm going to use COVID-19 as my excuse. (laughs) We'll just blame it on COVID. But I just took all of my receipts as I went throughout the year for, for the farm, and I just threw them in a box. And so on Monday, I believe it was, I spent the entire evening sorting receipts and then putting them into my spreadsheet. And folks I probably am not going to learn this lesson, but it was not any more fun sitting down and doing it all at one whack than it would be if I just kept up on top of it, at least on a monthly basis, if not a weekly basis. I hate doing that kind of stuff, it really drives me nuts, but I got it done. And so once a few more bits and pieces of tax information arrive, We'll get all that information over to our accountant and let them deal with it. <laughs> but anyhow that was that was uh, one of my and it's one of those tasks um, on a homestead. Uh, and depending on where you're at I'm, obviously I'm not a tax attorney, I'm not a CPA so you know take it for what it's worth. but definitely investigate tax laws and see if there are ways that you can utilize your homestead to your advantage. from that perspective. Now, I am somebody who is a huge libertarian. You know that by now. Um, My perspective is that of Ron Swanson, taxation is theft and government is useless. (laughs) You may have a different perspective on it, and that's fine. Uh, But I want to pay as little in taxes as possible. And so if I can legally uh, take advantage of the tax code. I'm going to do that. And so I certainly would recommend you do that as well, but certainly talk to a CPA or a, you know a tax attorney or whatnot, just to make sure everything that you're doing is on the up and up. I finally got my seed order in this week and whew, I was sweating it, folks. I was sweating it big time. I put together my main order through Fedco. Fedco is my go-to seed company. And I put together the order knowing that they were, the way they're handling this whole seed shortage or run on seeds or whatever you want to call it is they accept orders starting at noon each day. And they accept only a certain number of orders. I have no idea what that number of orders is, but they accept a certain number of orders. And once they reach that threshold, they shut it down and I saw on their Facebook page on Sunday of last week, I think that was the first, it was either Saturday or Sunday of last week is when they started doing that. They enabled ordering at noon and by 1215 on Sunday, they closed ordering right back up. So I went ahead and put together my order, entered it. You could do that through their website. I had it all ready to go. Monday, I was sitting waiting, waiting, refresh, refresh, refresh. As soon as that order button popped up, I hit it to enter, complete my order, and then bam, got a timeout error. So I refreshed it, was able to get a little farther into it. Long story short, is the website kept crashing, kept crashing. And by the time I was actually able to get far enough into the process, they were out, done. Less than five minutes and they were closed up. And so I was bummed, big time bummed. And then as I kind of watched things periodically in my cart, things started going red because they were selling out of this and selling out of that. And I was starting to get a little nervous. There was a couple of varieties that are my go-to varieties, in particular, Zephyr Summer Squash, which does really, really well for me. And I've told you before how I have problems with zucchini, and and Yellow Summer Squash doesn't always do that well for me either, but the Zephyr really has done well for me. And so I wanted to make sure I had some of that, and that was one of the ones that, boom, went red. And I was like, okay, this is not good. I'm, I'm a little... Now, not to say that there aren't other things that I could have planted. It's not the end of the world. I'm not going to starve um, and, and and anything like that. But I did find that uh, Pine, I think it's Pine Way Seed Company, they had the Zephyr uh, squash in stock. So I started building a uh, an order with them because that was one of the things I wanted. Um, they also had runner beans, which nobody else had runner beans uh, available, I think, Fedco was out of runner beans. Baker Creek was out of runner beans. And my gardener was out of runner. Like every, all of my go-to places were out of runner beans. So I started building this other uh, seed order with, is it Pine? I think it's Pineway. I don't know. I think it's Pine, Pine Tree. I think it's Pine Tree Seed Company. And so on Tuesday, uh, again, I, I sat there waited for the clock to hit noon and started hitting refresh And uh, thankfully I was able to complete my order on Tuesday and then I went ahead and submitted my order through pine tree, pine tree, whatever the other seed company. And so I've got my seeds on the way. Very, very thankful for that. And hopefully they arrive uh, in a timely fashion. I think Fedco right now is saying three to four weeks, which is fine for me because I won't be starting anything by the end of February. So um I think I should be good, but Uh, note to self, Brian, don't wait on those seeds, knucklehead. (laughs) This week, I also shared on Instagram and Facebook, if you don't follow us there, you know that I, I do try to update what's going on here on the farm throughout the week there. So it's a great way for you to kind of see what we're doing. And I posted a picture of a book on root cellaring that I highly recommend. I'm really, really enjoying this book because it's not just about how to build a root cellar, but it's also about how to plant your vegetables and how to harvest the vegetables in a way that is going to maximize the amount of of time that you will have these vegetables available to you in your root cellar. So highly recommend that book. Check it out, Instagram, Facebook, follow us there and highly recommend that book. It's one that I borrowed from the library. I'm going to be ordering it so that I have it uh, as as a resource for me to refer to. In the theme of gardening, I also uh, started uh, planting my garden and I'm using growveg.com again, not affiliated at all with them, but uh, really enjoy that software. And they did an update because their old software was Flash based. And at the end of 2020, Flash is no longer. And so they converted it over to, I'm guessing it's probably HTML5 based, but I don't know. It doesn't matter. What I was a little worried about is whether or not my historical information, which was only one year, but my garden from last year, the layouts that I had put together, whether or not they would translate or transfer over to the new version of groveedge.com. And I am happy to report that they did. And so all of the layout that I did um, for last year for the square foot gardens and for the roost out bed. All of that information was there. And so I could just kind of pick right up. What's very beneficial to that is in having that is GrowVeg.com uh, has functionality from the standpoint of crop rotation, um, which will help you, you know, avoid planting the same types of crops in the same area if you want to practice. Uh, crop rotation, then this is really going to help you do that. And it'll help you understand and remember what you had planted in a particular area over several years. Uh, obviously, then there's also the benefit of the layout perspective as well, not having to build that again. If you have a very complicated layout, mine's not very complicated, but even still, all of the raised beds, the sizes, and so forth, not having to to build that over again was definitely huge. So I definitely check, recommend you check them out growveg.com, not affiliated at all with them, uh, but really enjoy using that uh, for my garden layout and would highly recommend you check it out. Last thing I wanted to talk about is that I did a feed run today. And today is Saturday. Normally I record these podcasts on Sunday, but tomorrow evening I am going to be going uh, to back to the mountain where we work, but we're going to be doing some snow tubing with my son's Boy Scout troop. And so just to make sure I was able to get this in and I didn't feel any pressure, I'm opting to do it on Saturday. Anyhow, uh, I went ahead and did a feed run today after the snowboard lessons. And I found out that the cost of feed has gone up, not by a whole lot, but feed has gotten more expensive. And I don't know where you're at, I'd love to hear what you're seeing, but certainly, um, I don't know if it's COVID. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but uh, my feed costs did go up slightly, and so that's a little bit of a bummer, but I love the feed that I use. I, I buy from a local feed mill, so a, a family-run feed mill, and uh, I highly recommend it to all my friends and family here in the area, and so, but it was a bit of a bummer to see that, The costs of growing real food has gone up a little bit. Anyhow, that's what's been going on here on 3B Farm and Homestead. A bit chilly, but we're making it through. I hope things are well where you are at. Before we jump on over to this week's Charting the Course, if you are interested in supporting the show, you can do so in a number of different ways. If you haven't already, I would really, really appreciate it if you jump on over to iTunes, or your favorite podcast platform and leave me a review, a thumbs up, uh, five stars or four stars. If I deserve one star, okay, go ahead and give me one star. (laughs) But leave me a review or rating. I would really appreciate it. It does help other people find the show. And so I would greatly appreciate it. The second way that you can help support the show is simply by sharing the show. If there's a particular episode that you find helpful and encouraging or inspiring or something that maybe you think a friend or a family member might be able to gain something from, I would really appreciate it if you would share the show with them. Finally, you can support the show by heading on over to our website, thehomesteadjourney.net slash shop, and there you will find links to our t-shirt store as well as to products that we use and recommend here on the Homestead. They're Amazon affiliate links. And so if you buy through those, a portion of that comes back to help support the show. And again, those are products that we not only use here on the Homestead, but we recommend them highly to you and think you might benefit from them on your Homestead as well. All right. Having said all of that, let's jump on over to this week's charting the course. This week's episode is going to be the final in our series on self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. Now, those are terms that you hear me mention a lot here on the podcast, and they're terms that are mentioned a lot in the homesteading community. But as I've mentioned before, those terms, I think, are terms that just like homesteading itself, They don't really have well-defined meanings, uh, well-agreed-upon meanings across homesteading. In fact, I think a lot of times, self-sufficiency and self-reliance are kind of used interchangeably. And there are a lot of different definitions with regards to sustainability. So what do I mean by those terms? Well, if you go all the way back to episode number two, uh, the episode that was entitled, What is Homesteading? I kind of give my thoughts with regards to these three uh, topics and kind of how they are interconnected as it relates to homesteading. To me, self-sufficiency speaks to stuff, the things that we can raise, grow, produce, and process on our homesteads. Self-reliance speaks to skills. Do I have the skills necessary to raise, grow, produce, or process the stuff that I need? And then sustainability, to me, really speaks to systems. Do I have in place the systems whereby with minimal to no off-farm or off-homestead inputs, I can use my skills to raise, grow, produce, and process the stuff that I need? And so today, I really want to delve into sustainability. Now, sustainability is a word that can mean many things. But many times when people use the term sustainability, even outside of homesteading, they kind of use it as a synonym uh, for environmentally friendly. But to me, I think that's a very, very narrow view of that word. If you were to Google the term sustainability, and I did that, you would find that Google defines sustainability like this the ability to be maintained at a certain rate or level and the avoidance of the depletion of natural resources in order to maintain an ecological balance. Again, I think a lot of times when people use the term sustainability, they really focus on the second part, the avoidance of the depletion of natural resources in order to maintain an ecological balance. And a lot of times they fail to think about that ability to maintain something at a particular level. Now, I admittedly come at this from a bit of a prepper point of view. I'm not somebody who's a hardcore prepper. Don't get me wrong. I don't have a bunker filled with ammunition and guns and MREs and, you know, bug out bags everywhere and those kinds of things. That's not how I roll, but I do spend a lot of time, I shouldn't say a lot of time, but I do spend some time thinking about worst case scenarios. What if the proverbial poop hit the fan and the supply chains were disrupted? How would my life be affected? And do I have plans in place to be able to deal with that? Now, certainly 2020, uh, the whole COVID thing, I think for many of us was was a wake-up call with regards to the fragility of the supply chains that we rely upon. And so I think many people have really started to think about those kinds of things. If the proverbial poop hits the fan, what then? Am I going to be able to survive? Is my family going to be able to eat? Those are the things that Literally sometimes keep me up at night. And so when I think about sustainability, I really approach sustainability first and foremost from that perspective, the ability to maintain my level of life at a particular level. Do I have in place systems where I can maintain our life at a meaningful level? In part, that's why I keep a rooster on our homestead. That's why we always have buff Orpingtons in our flock. You see, buff Orpingtons are a breed that will still go broody. So if the proverbial poop hit the fan, I would have a rooster that could fertilize eggs. I would have buff Orpingtons that could sit on those eggs. And I would be able to have a continuous supply of meat and eggs for my family. Now, I don't do that on a regular basis. I don't rely on my rooster. I don't hatch out eggs. We've done it for fun using an incubator, a couple of different styles of incubator. We did that back last year. We did it two years ago. But I don't rely on that. I order chicks through the mail every year. And I'll continue to do that as long as I'm able to, but I have that rooster in my back pocket. Well, not literally in my back pocket, (laughs) in the coop, in case I need him. It's just kind of an insurance policy for me, but it's a sustainability system that I have in place to ensure that my family will be able to eat if we need to. That's part of the reason why I keep a boar. Now, American Guinea hogs, There is no AI available for American guinea hogs. So if I want to have uh, American guinea hog babies on the farm, then I'm going to need to have a boar or I would need to have a friend who has a boar. But if I had another breed, I would still want to have a boar and not rely on AI in part because of the sustainability factor. I want to make sure that I have access to a perpetual supply of piglets just in case I need them. So again, this is part of the way that I approach sustainability. I think about having in place systems whereby, with little to no off-farm or off-homestead inputs, I am able to apply my skills to raise, grow, produce, and process the things that I need. That's part of the reason why I plant heirloom seeds in my garden. Now, some people get all hung up on the heirloom versus uh, hybrid seeds. And some people have this false notion that hybrid seeds are GMO. That's bunk. That's hogwash. That's not true. <laughs> it drives me nuts. Um, the, the thing with with a hybrid is that if you were to plant the seeds from it, it potentially would not have the characteristics of the parent plant, the parent fruit. So a big part of the reason why I always make sure I have heirloom varieties in my garden as well as having hybrid varieties is again, if the proverbial poop hit the fan, I could save seeds from the heirloom varieties. I would be able to plant them the next year and I would have the same plant or the same variety that I had planted from the previous year. I don't generally save seeds. Now this year, I think I'm going to get into it a little bit more Simply because uh, while seeds are readily available this year, I shouldn't say readily available because there have been some supply constraints because of people buying a lot of seeds, but it's not been a lack of seeds from around the world per se, with small exceptions as I understand them. I'm certainly not big time connected to the seed community, but I have heard that China and Italy are both huge seed suppliers and because of COVID the Italian farmers weren't able to get their crops planted last year which meant no seed harvest and because of the whole COVID thing it's been tough to get seeds out of China. So now take that with a grain of salt. Again, I'm not hugely connected into the seed uh, sourcing community. But what I did see this year was the varieties that I wanted to plant Namely, the runner beans, which I could have easily saved seeds from last year. And I do have a few left from my my order last year. But I couldn't find them anywhere. And I, I really enjoyed the runner beans. I wanted to plant them again this year. So this year, I am going to save seeds just to make sure that I will have access to runner bean seeds next year. So that's a big part of the reason why i have heirloom varieties in my garden it's not because i am a huge seed saver but it's because for me from a sustainability perspective if i needed to i could and i think this year i'm going to start doing that now are there any holes in my sustainability plan yes there are probably more holes in my sustainability plan and there are holes in Swiss cheese. I'm not kidding myself at all. Uh, first of all, we're way too dependent on electricity here. We have a pellet stove, very, very cold here. If the power were to go out, my pipes would potentially freeze. We would potentially freeze. Well, I do have a kerosene heater, um, and we have employed that. But the point being is that we are very, very dependent on electricity here on our homestead. Uh, We have a well. If the electricity were to go out for a very long time, um, how am I going to water my animals? We have freezers. Now, at this time of the year, if the electricity were to go out for a, a prolonged period of time, it's not that big of a deal. Cold enough, I can use the outdoors as my freezer. We're good to go. But in the summertime, If we were to lose electricity for a long period of time, that's a lot of food that would potentially spoil. So holes in my sustainability plan, certainly. We're way too dependent on electricity. My animal feed, I don't grow any of my animal feed. So again, if the proverbial poop hit the fan, well, my feed supplier is local, and that's a big part of the reason why I do support a local feed supplier. Certainly, that is a concern. And then another thing for me is that if the proverbial poo were to hit the fan, I've got the stuff. How do I protect it? This certainly isn't a fortress. We're on a main road. You know, so again, all of that to say, well, thinking about worst case scenarios is certainly something that is important to me. It may not be important to you, and you can always come up with a worser Is that a word? A worser case (laughs) than maybe what you had even imagined. Moving from that perspective of sustainability and moving on to the environmental perspective of sustainability, to me, this still does speak to systems. Can we put in place systems on our homestead whereby we can generate the stuff that we need in a way that does not deplete the land of its nutrients? Are there systems that we can put in place whereby we can better the land? And I think the answer to that is yes, 100% yes. And so what are some of the things that we can do from that perspective? I mentioned a little bit ago our dependence on a well. I don't have a pond here. So are there things that I could do from the standpoint of rainwater catchment? That's something that I'm looking at. Can I catch rainwater so that I have water to water my animals, but also water that I could use in my garden? How about if we embrace diversity on our homestead? So we have animals, we have a garden, we have fruit trees, we have more than just one thing. Maybe instead of just having rabbits, and some of this, again, does depend on the amount of land that you have access to. So do the best you can with what you got, all right? But maybe instead of just having chickens, maybe we have chickens and rabbits, or we have chickens and quail. Maybe instead of just having pigs, we have pigs and goats. You see what I'm saying? We we have we have diversity, so that in case we have a failure in one area, maybe we get wiped out uh, with regards to our chickens, we still have rabbits that we can fall back on, and we're still going to have meat to put into the freezer. So embrace diversity on the homestead. How about if we employ permaculture practices on our homestead, understanding better how systems are interconnected and how maybe an output from this system can become an input to this system. And again, we're building sustainability into our homestead. That's something that I definitely want to learn more about. I know a little bit about permaculture, something I want to dive into a little bit more here in 2021. We can adopt minimal or no-till practices. Now, this is one that's a bit controversial, uh, and it does depend on where you're at and what your soil type is. If you're on a very rocky soil or you're on heavy clay, you may need to build raised beds. But even that, once you establish those raised beds, then you can begin applying uh, the no-till type methodologies. But the idea behind no-till isn't just that you don't till the land but it's that you're building healthy soil structure so that you can generate an abundance of a food from that from that land along with that we can build sustainability into our gardening by never leaving the ground uncovered right if we leave the ground uncovered we till it when we leave bare ground we have the potential for wind and water erosion But maybe what we want to look at is using hay or straw or wood chips, leaves, some kind of mulch to cover that. That's going to break down and feed the soil, It's going to help build better soil, but it's also going to keep our soil from escaping or being blown away, washed away or whatever. So that's another way that we can be sustainable on our homesteads we can use natural pest control methods. So instead of going out and using all kinds of herbicides and pesticides and fungicides, and all of those kinds of things, maybe we use beneficial insects like ladybugs, or um, there's some wasps that you can release that will attack certain moths and larvae and things like that. Um, Using guinea hens, To control the tick population. Just thinking about the ways that even your chickens can be used to control the tick population, but thinking about ways that we can use natural pest control methods instead of relying on chemical uh, alternatives. Along with that would be crop rotation. So rotating our crops around. Instead of planting them in the same spot over and over and over again, by rotating your crops, not only do you break disease and pest cycles, but it also helps build the soil because one particular type, let's say, for example, beans, might introduce nitrogen into the ground where something else you plant there might take that out. So you plant your beans, nitrogen goes in, and then you plant I'm trying to think of, I think maybe cabbage is a heavy nitrogen feeder, don't hold me to that. But you would follow your beans with cabbage, and now you have a very healthy cycle going on because your your soil is being fed, and then it is releasing those nutrients. So you have the added benefit of a natural pest kind of uh, control by by rotating those, those crops around but you're also building your soil through crop rotation. So again, building sustainability into your practices. Utilizing animals to do the work. This is something that Justin Rhodes talks about a lot and it's worked for me. It's it's worked very, very well. That's in part how I prepped my Ruth stout bed was by putting geese and chickens up there and letting them really go to town on it. Um, and, And it worked out very, very well. So are there ways that you can utilize your animals to do the work? Or you can use the animals to kind of like fertilize. That's what Joel Salatin does, right? He sends through the cows. And then a few days later, he sends through the chickens who spread out the cow manure. So that's breaking your pest cycle. So going back to your natural pest control methods. But the chickens are also doing the work. And it's carrying the fertilizer to the field instead of them having to take the the fertilizer out there, the manure out there. And spread it around. So using animals to do the work is a great way to build sustainability into your system. Now, the Joel Salatin method may not work for you. I don't have the land here to do a whole bunch of rotation around with chickens and cows and that kind of stuff. I got a little bit over two acres and only about an acre of it is cleared. And one year I thought that I would do something along those lines and bring around a bunch of standard breed chickens in some mobile coops and it didn't work out well for me, Um, but that's okay. You live and learn, but uh, are there other ways that you can find to allow animals to do the work on your homestead that builds in another level of sustainability into your homestead? Another thought is to adopt uh, agroforestry type uh, processes. So, There's been a lot of talk lately in the homesteading community about food forest and silvopasture. Those are some concepts I believe that come right out of permaculture. But again, it's the thought of instead of cutting down the trees and creating big, huge pastures, creating pastures within the trees and working together with nature instead of fighting against it. And then finally, there's the reduce, reuse, recycle. Now, when I say finally, it's just the last one we're going to talk about. Um, There are many other ways that you can build sustainability into your homestead. But reduce, reuse, recycle, yes, worn out, tired, perhaps. Maybe it needs to be put in a lockbox and never spoken again. (laughs) I don't know. But there certainly is a lot of truth. In those words, from the standpoint of building sustainability into your homesteading lifestyle, how can we reduce our consumption? How can we reuse things on our homestead instead of just discarding them? Are there ways that we can recycle uh, on our homestead, you know, using cardboard as mulch, shredding paper, and using it in our compost bins? Um, are there ways that we can recycle things and turn them into other things? Uh, that uh, are beneficial to to our homesteads. So these are some of my thoughts with regards to ways that you can build sustainability into your homestead here in 2021. What are some of your thoughts? What are some of the areas that you're going to be working on? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me, Brian, at thehomesteadjourney.net. And I'd love to hear what your focus is going to be in 2021 on becoming more sustainable in your approach to homesteading. Don't just focus everything though on environmental factors. I I think, again, that's one of the areas where people have a tendency to kind of swing a little bit in that regard. In fact, as I was doing some research into this episode, I ran across the thought of three principles of sustainability and one person put it like this they said the three principles of sustainability are profit planet and people and i really i really like that you know there's a, going to be a profit component especially if you're wanting to generate money on your homestead that could affect how you you perceive something what do i mean by that let's just use chicken for an example if you're trying to raise chickens for profit then a good chance is that the Cornish cross is going to be your better bet. Less feed consumption, less time, and you're going to have a better feed to meat conversion ratio, which means from a profit sustainability perspective, the Cornish cross is going to be a better bet. Now, some people still raise standard breeds for a lot of other reasons, And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, again, from a sustainability perspective, systematically, you have to order Cornish cross through the mail. So if the proverbial poo were to hit the fan, then the Cornish cross isn't going to work. You're going to have to rely on standard breeds. But in the meantime, if you're doing this for profit, sustainability purposes, the Cornish cross might be a better fit. Obviously, we talked a lot about the planet and I think that we need to care about the planet, not just because it's politically correct or because it's trendy, but because as homesteaders, we want to be good stewards of the resources that we have. And we understand that if we take care of the earth, the earth is going to take care of us. But in the midst of all of this, and this is where I think sometimes people, again, have a tendency to kind of go off the rails a little bit, is they forget about the people component. Even outside of homesteading, people who are very environmentally conscious, they forget about the impacts that sometimes their environmental policies can have on people. What do I mean by that? People love to talk about organic vegetables. Let's use that as an example. I am somebody who I don't want a bunch of crap sprayed on my food. That's why I raise and grow my own food. But we also need to understand and recognize that organic vegetables, if you go down to Whole Foods or wherever and buy them, they are much more expensive. So what is a poor person supposed to do? We cannot forget about people when we think about sustainability. And sometimes I think people get so focused on, we've got to save the planet, we've got to save the planet. We've got to... And I agree we need to be good stewards of the planet, but not at the expense of people. We need to understand that other people might have different perspectives than we do with regards to what constitutes sustainability. They might have different goals than what we do when it comes to sustainability. They might be on different steps on their homesteading journey than we are. And so when it comes to this topic, I just want to close with this. Let's have a little bit of grace one towards another. Certainly we all, I think, understand that there's only one earth, and we need to be good stewards of it. We don't want to be out polluting it. I get all of that. Let's have grace one towards another, understanding that not everything is black and white and cut and dried. And that's okay. That's it for this episode, folks. Again, if you have any comments, questions, anything at all, you can reach out to me, brian at thehomesteadjourney.net. Stop by our website, thehomesteadjourney.net, and check things out. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook. Links are in the show notes. As always, the music on this episode was provided by audionautics.com, so a big shout out to them. And until next time, everybody, keep up the good work.